Hey there, Ray Woodson back with you. Welcome to episode 12 of Triple Zally Report. Thank you for listening. We're going to get into a little more of the reaction to the hiring of Farhan Zaidi as the Giants' new director of baseball operations. What comes next? And that includes the hiring of a general manager. We'll get into the postseason's awards uh, that are coming up this week, and a couple have been handed out already. And a little more story time with Uncle Ray at the end of the podcast. You want to hang around for that. Well, I'm just anticipating you'll want to. I'm trying to tease this as best I can. Good little story from the past that ties it to uh, a present event from uh, this week. A lot of positive reaction to the selection of Farhan Zaidi as the new director of baseball operations. Bruce Bochy sounds positive. That's helpful. And really, he's going to have to be because he's likely toward the end of his uh, time with the Giants. Zaidi is just beginning with a five-year deal. Zaidi says he's had productive conversation with Bochi already. He acknowledged his experience and the experience of all the managers that he's worked with. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's it's uh, you know a convenient narrative to uh, see this as kind of a clash of schools of thought. I just don't see it that way at all. Um, again, had a really productive conversation with Boach, and as I said, I think I can learn a lot from him and the way he sees the game. He's a lot more experienced than I do. Um, again, I think there are things that I can bring to the table that give us an opportunity collectively to take a fresh look at how we do things. Um, and again, I think if you get a chance to talk to managers that I've had the good fortune of working with, uh, you know, last two were both guys that have been managers of the year, Dave Roberts and Bob Melvin, uh, I feel like those have been really productive relationships with a lot of ideas flowing both ways. And I guess you'll have to corroborate that with them. They, they may have a different view of how those things went, but you know, I feel pretty confident that um, you know they feel good about how our relationships evolved over time and kind of being in the trenches with these guys on a day in day out basis. And you know, one thing that I, I've learned in my time in baseball, and maybe this should go without saying, but it really doesn't, is. Uh, you know, the game's really hard, and uh, managing is really hard, and uh, it's easy to armchair manage, it's easy to watch a player and wonder why he swung at the slider down and away. Well, he's not trying to swing at the slider down and away. I mean, it's just hard to, it's a hard game. And, uh, you know, somebody who, you know, doesn't have the most illustrious playing career on his resume, uh, I think for me to always remember that, uh, keep that in mind is, uh, something that the players appreciate because I think as much as anything they want people to know that and appreciate the game isn't easy and all we can ask for is full effort and I guess the same goes for the manager it, it's a tough game to manage it's tough to manage personalities it's tough when you're dealing with a series of 51 49 strategy decisions and um, you know it's not my goal to armchair manage at all I, I want somebody who feels empowered to make those decisions and you know, just want us to be able to talk through strategies and the roster and everything that comes with running a team on a day-to-day basis together. Okay, so not a helicopter front office guy, which probably wouldn't work with Boji anyway, but everybody's sounding all the right notes, which you would expect so far. But the devil's in the details. One of those details is who's going to be the general manager under Zaidi and when will that person be chosen? Zaidi was asked last week whether it would be next season before a GM is chosen. It's certainly possible. It's not the ideal, and um, you know, in a, in, a, in a perfect world, I think we find that person, identify them, get through a permission process, and you know, find a mutual fit. Um, and, it, and and it's Larry and I have talked a lot about that. It's certainly a goal because we we have a lot of work to do, and uh, you know, 
being in that kind of setup with the Dodgers, I can appreciate the value of having you know a couple people uh, taking on that responsibility. Uh, but again, it's really going to be a function of you know how the process goes from here. Now, A's assistant general manager Billy Owens, who has worked with Zaidi under Billy Bean, is in the Giants' sights. He's a Bellarmine Prep grad. Zaidi says he's definitely a consideration. Owens has been a director of player personnel with the A's. And with David Bell leaving, the Giants have to find a director of player development. Owens will likely be considered for the GM post, but his background in player development comes into play here as well. He wouldn't be the only uh, consideration for GM, of course. MLB executive Kim Ang and Diamondbacks assistant GM Amiel Sade have been mentioned as still in the mix. And again, as with the previous search, a pretty strong group. But there's no hard deadline here. The owners' meetings are next month in Las Vegas. Free agency is underway, but the dominoes haven't started falling yet. It would be nice to get someone in place soon. Another consideration is Madison Bumgarner. To be continued. But Zaidi has not closed the door on any possibility, and nor should he. And there is Bryce Harper. Now, I asked Zaidi last week about the popular notion that the Giants cannot attract a free agent slugger to AT&T Park, and Zaidi disagreed. That doesn't mean that he's going to sign Harper. That's a stretch. A huge stretch. He told me how much he values positional versatility, and that was reflected in the way the Dodgers roster was put together. And he also said improving outfield defense, especially at the corners, would be a good way to improve the Giants quickly. So committing a bunch of money to Harper would not go toward that end. Maybe you look at a guy like Marwin Gonzalez or A.J. Pollock. Might be better ways to spend the money and get still contributing veteran players as well at shorter-term deals and maybe an under-the-radar signing or two off other teams' rosters, a player who could blossom with the Giants. Zaidi certainly did a good job of that with the uh, Dodgers. But it'll take more than that. The Giants 50 games under 500 the last two seasons. They're old. The farm system is not good. But does that mean a rebuild? That's the classic question. Last week, Zaidi said, that's not really what we're looking at, at least not right now. There's a lot of use of the term rebuilding across professional sports. Uh, The way I see it in baseball, baseball is very different from the NFL or the NBA. Uh, Those are sports where you can hit the lottery in the draft and have one player who, a franchise quarterback or, you know, a Michael Jordan who can turn around a franchise and you know, baseball is about the entire 25-man roster, and, and no one player and no one move is going to uh, turn the fate of a franchise around. Uh, it takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another, and I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. So just wanted to touch a little bit on that, on the direction. I'm sure there are more specific questions, but again, could not be more excited to be here. Thank you again to Larry and the Giants. Again, I appreciate uh, the Dodgers allowing me to pursue this opportunity, and I'm just ready to go. And really, for Zaidi or whoever's in the front office for the Giants, it's a waiting game, waiting out some bad contracts. Johnny Cueto's out with Tommy John surgery. It'll be a miracle if he pitches next year. Jeff Samarja with shoulder injuries, owed two more years at $19.8 million a year. What do you do with him? Do you have him in the rotation, or you finally decide, well, we need some bullpen help. He could be a, a guy maybe that you could throw in the seventh or eighth inning. That's something to look at, even with the contract, because you're not getting much out of him anyway now. Try to find some value with him. You certainly can't trade him. Mark Melanson has a no-trade clause anyway. He's getting $19 million a year. Has only shown flashes of his old self. He can't be relied on to close every day. Yeah, you got Derek Rodriguez, Andrew Suarez, Reyes Maranta, young, bright spots in the pitching staff, but they're not enough. Madison Bumgarner, 
pretty good in a season that was delayed by a freak injury at the end of spring training, and he could be better in 2019 and possibly the final year of his deal. There are peripheral signs of decline, but still a very effective pitcher, and other teams might think that way as well. So this is one of those 51-49 propositions, could go either way, where a team values uh, Bumgarner more than perhaps the Giants do going into the future. But the, the important thing with hiring a guy like Zaidi is he's not married to any of these players. He can't be emotionally attached to them, although he understands and appreciates what they've accomplished. Then there's Evan Longoria. He's under contract until 2022. And I thought if he approximated what he did in Tampa Bay in 2017, well, that would be okay. But he was much less than okay. And the Giants still have five years left on that deal. Ouch. Now, because he's coming off his worst season, I guess there's still hope that he could bounce back some at age 32, 33. But even so, he's much closer to the end of his career. Not much you can do with that contract. And what do you do with Buster Posey, Brandon Belt, Brandon Crawford? You know, homegrown players. Belt is tradable. Not for a huge amount, but tradable. I don't think that that contract is prohibitive. It's just a matter of if a team believes he can complete a season. He hasn't done a lot of that lately. Crawford was banged up at the end of the season. He'll need help at shortstop going into his 30s. And that's where maybe the acquisition of an Abiatel Avellino helps. At 31, Crawford is still one of the best fielding shortstops in the game. And if you could give him more rest, maybe that helps the bat in the second half. Posey's coming off hip surgery, and while he seems to be recovering well, it's not a certainty he can start the season behind the plate. So backup catcher will be huge, a healthy Posey or no. And I don't think you can trade Posey. Coming off his worst year, an injury weakened year, and he's owed $66 million more over the next years, next three years, before a team option in 2022, and he's 31. He still has value at catcher, though. He had a 2.9 war last season in 105 games. But given the physical ailments, including the threat of concussions, he's looking at more games at first base. Now, the development of Joey Bart could hasten these decisions, but he's not yet at single A. He's a couple of years away. So it's going to be about who you can find out there if you don't believe this current roster can do the job. The farm system was one of the lowest ranked in baseball, in part because their best products came up to help the Giants win championships in this decade. But the decade's almost over, and so is the championship era. Good news is Zaida has experience working with a limited payroll successfully. He understands scouting and player development, and he will be able to spread his wings as the Giants shed contracts over the next couple of years. But I would not expect a miracle in 2019. I think 2020 is the benchmark year. So no, we're not looking at a rebuild because the Giants are saddled with some rough contracts. And Zaidi said to me, you know, the only reason to do this is to try to win, so why not try to compete next season? It's just going to be a tall order. But he used the example of the Oakland A's and Milwaukee Brewers. They didn't necessarily rebuild. They just looked to find value in players. Like Chris Davis was one example. The A's just... Uh, assessed the value in this player and thought it'd be worth signing, and three years later, 133 home runs, the most in the majors. Now, the Giants, do they need to find sluggers, power hitters? Is that absolutely the, the first job? Well, they need to hit more home runs if they're not going to do other things well. Or if they're going to be a 130 to 140 home run team, they have to do other things well. They have to do those little things, and they have not done that. They've not been great defensively. They have not been good on the base pass. They don't have good team speed. You know, you know, Alan Hansen notwithstanding, overall the team is slow. So if you're slow and you don't get on base a lot, you better hit for power, and they haven't been doing that. So Zaidi was asked last week by reporters if uh, the quest for power is paramount here.
It's funny you you ask because you know I think being around the Dodgers and, and coming up a couple games short in the World Series, there's a lot of talk that maybe we were too concerned with launch angles and hitting homers. And then when you don't have it, it's a question of why don't you? And, and that's got to be the you know so. You know, uh, is power important? Is hitting homers important? Sure, but you know, having guys that make contact is important. Having pitchers that throw strikes is important. Um, you know, I don't think you can really focus on any one dimension of baseball at potential cost elsewhere. You might wind up just running in place. I think you really have to look at the totality of baseball players. I mean, if there was a guy out there who was a 190 hitter and hit 30 homers and struck out 200 times, I'm not sure that would be that helpful. We would help the home run total. So I think as long as it comes in, you know, an all-around package that's going to help the team, then sure. All right, I just wanted to pause for a moment to talk about my bookie. Yeah, watching football is fun, but a little more spicy when you have some action on the games. Well, whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at my bookie, and not just because that rhymes. I mean, there's so much to bet on. College basketball and football, NBA, NHL, custom props, even esports, you name it. My bookie's the one bet I know you'll be happy with all year. I recommend these guys because I trust them. My bookie has been in business for years. Great online reviews you can check out. Mobile site is easy to use. And sign up this week, and my bookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus to jumpstart your bankroll. A great way to bank even more money when you win. Also, check them out on Twitter at BetMyBookie. Don't miss out on one of the best weeks to bet on sports this year. Log on to MyBookie right now. Use promo code BLUEWIRE. And get 50% deposit bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. You play, you win, and you get paid. So Zaidi coming from the Dodgers might yield a few of their trade secrets, but the Giants also have to contend with the Rockies, the Diamondbacks, and yes, the Padres, who have what is considered the best farm system in baseball. My buddy down in Solana Beach, I call him the mayor of Solana Beach. I've known him since the seventh grade. He's a Padres season ticket holder. He still anticipates I'll be coming down there to grab easy-to-obtain seats for meaningless games in September in 2019. But eventually, it's going to pay off for the Padres. So what I'm saying is, for the Giants, do not expect miracles in 2019. It's a real toss-up. 2020 is the better yardstick. Zaidi is going to get time to put his plan into place, but he's going to need every bit of that MIT and Berkeley education, as well as his experience in Major League Baseball, to pull this one off. Just a few minutes about the postseason awards, because I found on my old radio show, yeah, it was a pretty good topic for one segment in November for baseball fans, but it had about the staying power of McDonald's fries. So here's my five or ten minutes worth, at most, about the postseason awards. I thought Shohei Otani and Ronald Acuna Jr. were, were both good choices for Rookie of the Year. I mean, you look at Otani, he kind of broke the mold at least the modern-day mold, excelling as a hitter and a pitcher, but underwent Tommy John surgery, so he's going to be a DH in 2019 while his arm recovers. Miguel Andujar's bat made him a candidate, but his glove was another story, and a 328 on on-base percentage didn't help either. I think the bigger question long-term is how is Otani going to be used? Are the Angels going to think inside the box or outside the box? His talent requires outside-the-box thinking, figuring out a way to strike a balance between that great pitching talent and getting him into the lineup with that potent bat. I mean, he had the seventh-best OPS plus in the majors in 2018, but there are many who think he is a number-one starter talent as a pitcher, and in 51 innings, opponents batted 202 against him. That is elite. 
So I, I think that, I just want the Angels to continue the experiment just to see how far this can go. Acuna beat out Juan Soto of the Nationals, and a strong argument could be made for both. Acuna was a centerpiece in getting the Braves to the postseason, probably ahead of schedule with that young roster. But Soto at 19 with a 406 on-base percentage, 923 OPS, and he let in just as many advanced stats as Acuna. Uh, he's going to be a huge star who might help the Nationals absorb the possible loss of Bryce Harper. He faded a little bit in the second half along with the Nationals' playoff hopes, so that worked against him while Acuna emerged uh, to play meaningful games. But both are going to be big impact players. In fact, both already are. Good race for manager of the year in both leagues. In the American League, I thought that Bob Melvin of the A's deserved it. He got it. A's were 34-36 and 36 at one point. They ended up winning 97 games, a 22-game improvement with the lowest opening day payroll in the majors, doing so while his starting pitching just disintegrated in the second half, but his bullpen was ungodly. And Melvin, now one of eight managers to win it three times. He won it in 2012 with the A's in 2007 in Arizona. Remember, it's a regular season award. Alex Cora did a great job in his rookie year. You might say a historic job with the Red Sox winning 108 games, but with a really talented roster, he didn't mess it up. Ended up having one of the best baseball seasons ever. Kevin Cash kept the Rays in the AL East uh, race for a while and went with somewhat controversial openers instead of a starting pitcher. Sergio Romo was in the mix there as an opener. A worthy experiment and a a roster that was patched together. And to make that effective, I mean, he did a hell of a job. I love what Cash said, though. He said, I stunk as a player. So he needed to learn how to listen to players as a manager. 183 career average in the majors as a catcher. But like so many catchers, he's got a mind for the big picture, for the game as a whole. And he says the opener concept is not going away. He says the information suggests it works for the Rays. That sparked a lot of debate in the game, which is good. And with a remade rostering with injuries, that's what the Rays had to do. They used a club record 54 players that included 23 rookies, and they won 90 games. Blake Snell certainly helped out. Uh, the players bought in, and Cash got as much as he could out of that roster. And he'd be a manager of the year in other years. But, and he, he did this in a tough division. Well, he, he got the most important thing. Cash got cash. He gets a contract extension through 2024. Uh, in the National League, as we mentioned, the Braves were ahead of schedule, albeit with a very talented young team, and Brian Snitker deserves credit for that, and he did get credit as National League Manager of the Year. 17 first-place votes. Craig Council got 11. Bud Black was third. Braves won the NL East with a record of 90-72, and 72, but they were 49-27 and 27 against their division foes. Uh, Council led the Brewers to the best record in the league, and despite some postseason controversy, I thought he's handled his bullpen beautifully. The front office getting Yelich and Kane in the offseason didn't hurt either. Bud Black not getting as much love, but as a former pitcher, he deserves some credit for helping shepherd his young starting rotation through a long season, including the very talented Kyle Freeland. In the final quarter of the season, that pitching staff, that starting rotation improved markedly. But I love Snitker's story. He's 63. He shows what happens when you don't discriminate on the basis of age and when you take advantage of someone's experience. There are many professions that could learn from that. Snitker has learned himself, and he's been a big believer in analytics now. He says you never stop learning and you never stop growing, and that's why he's still very relevant in this game. But he still showed some old, uh, old school tough love. Remember when he pulled Ender Inciarte from a game in Milwaukee for failing to hustle out of the batter's box in a ball that landed on the foul line? Later, he was benched against lefties. But Inciarte is one of the players who was in his corner by the end of the season. Snitker's a baseball lifer, a loyal guy, one of the best around, a guy who has managed in places like Macon and Greenville. So you love that he has done so well in the major leagues. 
He credits the organization for his award, and he should. Alex Anthopoulos has done a very good job as GM leading the scouting and drafting and trading to put together this up-and-coming squad. But you needed somebody like Snitker as a calming influence. And after three consecutive 90-loss seasons, they won 90 this year. And sure, you could say, hey, just tank a few years, get some high draft picks, and you could turn it around. But there are fewer guarantees in the baseball draft than anywhere else. Scouting and talent evaluation are the key. And, and shepherding that talent to the major leagues so they're effective players. And there was a twist in the Braves case. You might remember a year ago, Snicker was in peril, but the front office was overhauled amid an MLB investigation into infractions committed during the draft and with the international market. And the players, the players spoke up for Snicker. And along with the award, he gets a two-year extension with the Braves, and he believes that's only the second multi-year deal he's had with the Braves since he joined the organization as a catcher first baseman in 1977. This is a guy who rode too many buses in his career, and now he's in the penthouse. As far as the Cy Young, I don't think it's a question that Jacob deGrom should be the National League winner. It's not a case of knee-jerk sabermetrics if there was such a thing. It was such an overwhelming case. I mean, he was 10 and 9, but we've already seen that wins mean less in the Cy Young vote. But my God, a 1.70 ERA, 10 home runs allowed in 217 innings. He allowed four runs in a game just once all season. Just once! I mean, that's stupidly good. 29 consecutive starts of three runs or fewer to end the season. A major league single season record. 217 innings behind only Scherzer in the National League. A major league record 24 consecutive quality starts for whatever that's worth. That's still pretty good. All the result of a tweak in mechanics during the offseason. So DeGrom worked lower in the zone. Fewer pitches left up in the strike zone. And you see the results. A great fastball that he believes in. And there are times where he just tells hitters, hey, try and hit this. And often they can't. There were games where he'd pour in fastball after fastball and nobody could make solid contact. And it was high in the zone. It was on purpose. Aaron Nola had the best war among Major League pitchers at 10.5, but DeGrom was right behind at 9.6. Nola and Scherzer, Max Scherzer, who had 300 strikeouts, would be deserving winners in any other year or even this year. But DeGrom had a historic season. And Scherzer did win it uh, the previous two years. 10-9 and nine for DeGrom. Doesn't matter. Not his fault. Considering the Mets averaged just 3.5 runs in his starts, one of the lowest uh, totals in the majors. And now his agent, Brody Van Wagenen, is the general manager of the Mets, and DeGrom is going into arbitration. But more than that, the Mets are under pressure to come up with a longer-term deal. Uh, you could say DeGrom's timing's pretty good. In the American League, lefty Blake Snell of the Rays had the 1.89 ERA, third lowest for a starter in the American League in the designated hitter era. Also a historic season. A 32% strikeout race rate, uh, 112 hits allowed in 180 innings. I did a double take on that one. I did the cartoon, what? Yes, 112 hits allowed in 108 innings, 80 innings, that is, and he went 21-5. and five. His ERA plus was 219, best in the league. And the war was the best in the league, 7.5, beating out Chris Sale, 6.9. I mean, this guy's got a fastball in the upper 90s, a plus curveball, a very good changeup, and a slider that goes from 88 to 92. What an assortment. I mean, get out of here, which is what hitters did. Uh, He fulfilled the promise and then some after being drafted by the Rays in the first round out of high school in 2011. You look at Corey Kluber, he won 20 games, and he's won the Cy Young twice, but his ERA was a run higher than Snell's. Again, a Cy Young-type season in other seasons. Chris Sale came up four innings short of qualifying for the ERA title. Justin Verlander and Chris Sale and Corey Kluber, again, would win in other years, but Snell just stands out for what he did in 2018. 
Most valuable player. I mean, let's get this straight right now. In the American League, Mike Trout could win almost every year, and you wouldn't get an argument from me. But instead, he will finish second for the fourth time in seven years, partly because the Angels didn't win their division, but also, also because Mookie Betts was just about as good as Trout. And the Red Sox won 108 games with uh, Betts as one of their key players. And he has an MVP candidate on his own team in J.D. Martinez. Now, Martinez might not finish in the top three in the American League in MVP voting. And that's what happens in a league with Betts, Trout, uh, Jose Ramirez, Francisco Lindor, Alex Bregman, and so on. Also, Martinez, not a great defender, was a DH for much of the season. But even so, his numbers were enough to win the MVP in other years. But you got to give it to Mookie. And did you hear he's a great bowler? I don't know if you ever knew that. Uh, Christian Yelich, who nearly won the Triple Crown, pulled away, and I think it's the odds-on favorite in the National League, a worthy favorite to win the MVP. Uh, not a great postseason, but that doesn't matter. As far as comeback players of the year, well, you got to go with Matt Kemp and David Price. And that's as much time as I think I need to spend on that. And finally, kids, it's story time with Uncle Ray. Oh, yeah. That is the jam right there. You still awake? All right, let's go back in time. In fact, further back in time than most of you have been alive. It's the summer of 1966. Sonny and Cher are singing and the beat goes on. And now I'm really dating myself. My mom was dating a singer who was from Curacao in the Caribbean. Well, we went there to see his family. And flying back to Miami, we learned there was a domestic airline strike. Machinists working for five airlines walked off the job. Other unions joined in, and it was hard for people to fly anywhere in this country. We were lucky to have relatives in Miami, and we stayed there a couple of days, but my mom had to get back to work at CBS. So, desperate times call for desperate measures. We jumped on the hound. A five-day, four-night cross-country trip on Greyhound bus, thankfully with air conditioning, with a stay at my uncle's house in Dallas in between. Sarasota, Tampa, Tallahassee, Selma, Montgomery, Jackson, Meridian, Shreveport, we saw the last vestiges of Jim Crow in the South, including an L-shaped coffee shop, one side with counter and stools painted white, the other side painted black. There were some black passengers on the bus who were just glad to see those cafes because in other places they couldn't even get off the bus. The driver would have to get them sandwiches and drinks. These are images I will never forget, and I need to impart on kids today because, yes, it did happen, and, yes, some of it's happening again. And this whole trip was probably harder on my mom than it was on my sister and I. We made friends with a few kids, one from Alabama, one from Florida, another one from Indiana. My mom didn't care that we ate pizza and milkshakes, so in a way, we were having a fine old time. No cell phones, no internet, so how did we otherwise entertain ourselves? At each stop, we would buy a stack of comic books, and I love the Marvel comic books, all of them. They helped us pass the time. Thank you, Stan Lee. And you know, back then... Uh, parents, teachers would put down comic books. You know, silliness. Why are you reading that? Well, I'm here to tell you, comic books and reading about baseball in the sports page, by the time I graduated from elementary school, I was reading at a ninth grade level. I would love to see kids reading comic books today. That means they're reading. By the way, I noticed Hunter Pence gave uh, Stan Lee a shout out as well. Uh, we will miss the great Stan Lee who passed away a few days ago at the age of 95. I'm Ray Woodson, and until next time on Triple's Alley Report, Excelsior! <laughs>